Man, you got to love that, right? I'm so thankful you guys are here. I'm thankful for our kids to lead us in worship. That is so, so, so sweet. Uh, And Chelsea's right. It's so important. It's so important not only for them and for their lives, their memories, but for us, right? Didn't Jesus say to come to him just like the children? So maybe that can actually help us learn how to be better worshipers, right? I think that would be good. Well, hey, it's that time of year. Um, if you didn't notice when you walked out of your house this morning, it's that time of year when the weather can do anything, like anything it wants, right? It can be cold in the morning, hot in the afternoon, whatever. It can rain. It could snow. Who knows? We might even get some snow this week. Um, I'm thinking not. That's going to be what I, if I'm going to bet, I'm going to bet on no. But hey, people are saying it could happen, right? Well, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul's going to talk about some clothes that we put on. And if you want to grab your Bible and open it up to it, uh, Colossians chapter 3, I'll tell you, when we were living in South Dakota, we had a specific box of clothes uh, that was just for winter, okay? In fact, it was several boxes because there was a lot of winter, okay? Well, now we've pared it down to one box, but back when we were in South Dakota, we would get those boxes out and we would open them up, and I know this sounds crazy to you, but we would actually unpack some things out of our drawers, and then we would put our winter clothes into our drawer like we were going to actually use them on a regular basis. I know it sounds crazy to you in Texas because what we do in Texas is we just get the box out and we leave it in the side of the room. It's like, I'm just going to keep my drawers all the same. Everything is going to stay in the same place. I'm just going to pull what I need out of this box every once in a while because you never know. It can do anything. You never know if you're going to need winter clothes in Texas in the morning and then not in the afternoon. Like you don't want to pack the flip-flops away because you might use them even in the same day, right? That's just how it works here. But Paul, when he talks about putting on clothes in Colossians chapter 3, is talking about a different kind of clothes. He's not talking about the clothing that we use to adapt to the changing weather outside. He's talking about a spiritual clothing that we put on as an expression of what's already changed on the inside. What's already changed on the inside. A lot of people uh, in our world today try to put on a spiritual-looking life to cover up what's on the inside. Now that's what religion does, right? Religion is really just our attempt to get to God. We feel like we have to cover up who we really are so that God sees us in a better light. Well, good news is that's not how Christianity works. In fact, in Colossians chapter 3, this is the third time, by the time we get to verse 12, it's the third time uh, that Paul has emphasized who we are as Christians before what we do as Christians or don't do as Christians. See, what matters most is who we are, our identity in Christ. Religion is an attempt to get to God in order to be accepted by Him. Christianity is the opposite. Christianity says we're accepted by God not because of what we do or don't do, but because of what Jesus has done. And so this is good, good news. We don't have to get to God He came to us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? That's what he did when he came to live among us and then to die in our place on the cross. That was all God coming to us so that we don't have to perform for him in order to be accepted. We don't have anything to cover up. We just come to him in faith and he makes us new. So if your faith is in Jesus, Your status with God has changed. You've been adopted into his eternal family. Uh, The consequences of your sin have been removed. You've been rescued from that, and you've been set apart for God's work. 
This is what Paul says in verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3 about the Christians in Colossae. He says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. I just want to pause there for a second. To say what matters to God is who you are in Christ. God changes you when you come to faith in Christ. And there's sermons that could be preached about each of these phrases and words. But I just want to boil it down to, to let you know this. That these words are the words that God chooses to use all throughout the Old Testament to describe his people, his chosen people, the nation of Israel. Israel is God's chosen nation, the chosen people that he adopted into his kingdom, that he chose to reveal himself to the world through this group of people, that he chose even to bring forth the savior of the world through this particular people. And he said about them, they're chosen. They were his chosen people. He said about them that they were holy. They were set apart for his work. And he said about them that he loved them. This is who we are in Christ. I don't know if you feel lovely toward God, but God loves you. I don't know if you feel chosen by God, but you're here in Christ because he chose you. I don't know if you feel like you're a part of his work, but God has set you apart and made you holy in order to accomplish his will. You are these things if your faith is in Christ, your identity has been changed, and that change of identity leads to a new way of life, and a new way of life leads a new set of clothes, some new clothes to put on. So, thus, we get to this command in verse 12. It's a command for Christians, all Christians, to put on these clothes. Verse 12 continues to say, put on compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I don't know about you, but if you look at this list and feel like you've got it made, then, I mean, come, we need to learn from you, right? Because these are things that are challenges for people. These are not natural for people. In fact, very few people outside of a relationship with Christ ever attempt to live by these virtues, because they don't tend to get you a leg up in the world, right? This is generally not how you become successful by being kind and, gener- and, and uh, gentle and, and, hum- uh, and having humility, right? And having patience. No, no, the world says you got to get what's yours. You got to go after it. You got to take it from other people, all that kind of stuff. But Paul says Christians are different because our identity has been changed. The other maybe people in the room might feel like, man, I've got a lot of work to do. I, like, man, if I really want to please God, I, I really got to work on this stuff because I know I'm not very good at it. But can I just stop you there again? And just like Paul reminds you over and over and over in Colossians, I just want to remind you again, it's not about what you do or don't do to become acceptable to God. He has made you acceptable to him through his son, Jesus Christ. You put your faith in him. You are his. You're chosen. You're holy. You're set apart. You're loved. And because of that, And out from that, we put on these virtues, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, people don't naturally do this. Uh, Like I said, you know, occasionally you might see some uh, 
you know, things like compassion or kindness when something happens in the world and it becomes a social media cause. Have you ever seen this happen where, you know, like say something happens in a particular country and then all of a sudden everybody's posting that country's flag with a little like pray for dot, dot, dot. They didn't know anything about those people or country before or anything. And then after a few days, it just sort of fizzles, right? But it catch little glimpses of maybe compassion or kindness. And, and, and that's how most of the world views these virtues, that if it's a piece of clothing, it's like the T-shirt that I leave in the drawer for a certain occasion that, okay, there will be times in my life that I just have to reach for that T-shirt and grab it out. Does anybody else have this in their home? I have this drawer. In fact, it's like I could tell you what all is in my drawers, but they're all those single drawers, and then there's like a double. It's like a double depth, and that's where all my T-shirts are, and they're just stacked, you know, and then like rolled up and stacked, and it's all neat and everything, and there's some like way in the back that I don't even know what they are. I don't know where they came from, you know, but I've got some shirts in there, like say the old ratty T-shirts with some paint on them and that kind of things. I go, well, I'm going to need that at some point when I paint, okay, which I paint like once every four years, <laughs> But I have several painting t-shirts because, you know, when you paint, you're probably going to paint multiple days, that kind of thing. And I keep that stuff so that when it's time to paint, I can reach in and pull that out. And that's how people treat these virtues. A lot of Christians even treat these virtues this way, that at some point I'm going to need this and it's going to be there for me and I'm going to be able to reach in and grab it out. But what Paul is saying is that it's not like that at all. It's actually more like this is not something you reach for. It's something that is who you are, that you are putting on these clothes and continuing to put them on. In fact, that's how the grammar of this sentence is structured for you grammar nerds out there. The phrase put on is what's called a present imperative, meaning the imperative, it's a command. And the present tense part is this idea that you should put on and keep putting on. Put on and keep putting on compassion. Put on and keep putting on kindness. Don't stow it away for when you might need it. Become this person because of what God has done in you. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So these clothes never go out of style. These clothes never go out of season. And if verses 5 through 11, when we talked about last week, were these lists of things that we should put off, now we see that we're putting on these things, these new sets of clothes based on our identity in Christ. Let's take a closer look at each one of these, uh, what each one of these are. Uh, let me give you some, just some definitions, some things that help you wrap your mind around these things. I think you know generally what these things are, but, but hopefully these definitions will help you just really hone in on how you can put them on in your life. So, compassion. Compassion is first. Uh, and I think you expect to see that in a list uh, about, about what Christians are. We ought to be compassionate. But did you know that before Christianity, the world had no idea what compassion was? The, the ancient world was not just ruthless like some people can be today. It was merciless. I mean, there was no group of people really that just innately deserved mercy. And in fact, there were so many challenges living in the ancient world that if someone was a... a was a burden, they just cast them off. I mean, if, if you had a disability in the ancient world, if you had um, a terminal illness in the ancient world, if you were a child without parents in the ancient world, you would just be thrown out. 
That's merciless. There's no compassion in that. And Jesus comes along, and he turns that on its head. He does something so radically opposed to the cultural norm that it created a movement in the world that we now know as like compassion ministries or compassion, you know, uh, businesses or things like that. Things like hospitals. They didn't exist before Christianity. Orphanages didn't exist before Christianity. Jesus brought all this. He's so countercultural. And so how do we put on compassion? What was it really? Well, here's what Jesus did, and here's how Jesus made this a thing. When other people were throwing people away, when other people were avoiding people or turning the opposite way, Jesus was going to these people. The New Testament's full of these stories. Jesus goes to people who are terminally ill. Jesus goes to people who have diseases that nobody else will get near. Jesus, instead of defining people by their struggles, he saw the person behind the struggle. He was able to look past the person's circumstance to see the true person, to see somebody made in God's image. And this is what the definition is. It's to put on compassion means to see the person behind the struggle they have. To look under the surface. To look beyond or behind what's happened to that person. It's to look behind even the front that that person is putting on. To see past that. The word literally means to suffer with. And so as we see the people behind the struggle, then the move of compassion is to get in it with them, to walk with them through whatever reality is they're facing. That's compassion. So how do you put on compassion? It's just to begin to see people the way Jesus sees them, to see with spiritual eyes, to be willing to look past the circumstance to see the person who's made in God's image. That is compassion. Now, kindness. Now, kindness is more than what most of us believe it to be. Most people b- believe kindness is just sort of a passive demeanor. That if I just, uh, you know, if I just am not mean, then I must be kind. But God's version of kindness is active. It's active toward other people, which is the thread you're going to see woven throughout all of these virtues is that these are things we move toward people with. And so God's kindness is a great definition of it, or at least an example of it in, uh, in the New Testament book of Titus, where we see that God shows kindness through action even to undeserving people, us. It says this, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. So God's kindness is, is active. He did what was in his power to change our circumstance. And, and I love what Dane Ortland, a theologian, says about kindness. He says, kindness is doing what's in your power to prevent the discomfort in others. This is just a good, simple definition. Doing what's in your power to prevent discomfort in others. And the macro level is we see God changing our eternity doing something that we could not have done for ourselves, entering into our struggle, taking our sin upon himself and paying the price that we owed so that we could have something we couldn't get 
on our own so that we could be rescued. That's kindness. That's kindness. So it's not passive, it's active. Humility. Here's my definition of humility. Uh, Humility is caring less about how others see you while simultaneously caring more about others. Caring less about how others see you, but simultaneously caring more about others. Here's why I give it this definition. Because what I've noticed in our culture is that while most people believe that humility is just kind of the opposite of pride and that those two things are just set uh, in like you're either one or the other, uh, what I've noticed about our culture is that we have an issue with self-image uh, we have an issue with anxiety and, and, and wanting people to like us and all that kind of stuff. And the, the reality is that if you have a poor self-image, a low, unhealthy self-image, and if you're just afraid that people don't like you, uh, you know, and you just don't think anyone really wants to be around you, that doesn't make you humble. <laughs> that makes you self-focused. And it's just kind of a twisted version of pride. And so we have to define it a little bit more and see what humility is. And remember thinking about the context here that all these things are virtues we put on that move us toward people. Humility then is caring less about how others see you and caring simultaneously more about other people. It's, it's living with arrows out, you know, thinking I'm going to live toward these people instead of living with arrows in that the focus is on me, whether it's in my pride or my poor self-image or whatever it is. So to put on humility means to grow in confidence in who God's made you to be. It also means to grow in your capacity to serve and care for others. Put on humility. So I think maybe in this instance, there's fewer people who need to repent of uh, unhealthy pride and maybe more people who need to repent of just unhealthy self-image and go, you know what? I'm, I'm ready for the focus to get off me. God's made me. God loves me. God chose me. God set me apart. Because of that, I'm going to give my focus to others. That's true humility. Gentleness. Now, the biblical word here, although gentleness makes more sense to us, the biblical word is meekness. Meekness. Meekness is, is not a word that means weakness, as you might have heard in the past. It's not walking on eggshells with people, right? It's not being timid. It's none of those things. Meekness or gentleness uh, is, in fact, uh, it's defined as strength under control. You may have heard that before, strength under control. Like, like if you think like a, a big ox that's got a yoke on it, and uh, instead of just running wild, you know, it's got someone steering it, and it's controlled, and it's powerful force, but it's moving in a straight line. And that's like this idea of gentleness or meekness, or maybe a, a horse that's been tamed that you can ride that's like power, but it's under control. And that's an okay definition, I think, but I just want to like add a little bit to that because of the relationship context of this passage. So the new way for you to think about gentleness or meekness is this. It's giving strength to others in the way they need it most. Giving your strength to others in the way they need it most. It's not just being powerful and in control, but it's being also relational with your strength being generous with your strength. That's gentleness. Uh, I think of when uh, my daughter was born, I had the unbelievable privilege to like 
catch my daughter. And that's the best way I think, can think to say that from the platform. But as she was born, the doctor said, you want to catch her? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I was like scrubbed up. And, uh, you know, and she was born, I don't know, seven, eight pounds. I don't remember the details. She's healthy. That's all that matter, right? So I could hold her in any way possible. I mean, I'm strong enough. I could have just grabbed her up by the arm or whatever, but, but no, she came out and she needed to be held comfortably with her head supported. And so I had to situate myself to use my strength to give her what she needed, right? That's gentleness. It's strength. It's meekness. It's in control, but it's giving towards someone else, okay? That's gentleness that we're talking about here. Uh, Jesus described himself as gentle, meek, But was Jesus weak? No. One of the ways that Jesus, uh, you know, displayed gentleness is when he stood between the woman caught in adultery and the religious bullies who were trying to stone her. They wanted to kill her because of the law. Jesus stood between her and a bunch of men with rocks. That takes courage. He used his strength generously on her behalf. He stood between them and he said, if any one of you is without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, they all left him in the dirt. And I can just imagine Jesus turning around and this woman who's in a vulnerable position and in great need, imagine him turning around and just looking her in the eye and saying, go and sin no more. And just imagine how empowering that was to her. And she needed someone in that moment to step in for her, and he was generous with his strength. Moses, if you rewind, 1,500 years before Jesus, Moses was that way too. The book of Numbers calls Moses the most meek man on the earth. So was Moses weak? No, this guy had to stand up to Pharaoh. Uh, this guy had to lead the Israelite people who didn't want anything to do with being led through the wilderness for 40 years. But you know what they found? They found that Moses was willing to stand in the gap for them, especially with God. And what happened is they developed this system where uh, there was a tent called the Tent of Meeting, and this was where God's presence would would settle, and and Moses would go into this tent on behalf of the people. There were hundreds, thousands of people lined up with their issues, and they would bring them to Moses, and he would say, yeah, I'll go to God for you about that. And he stood in the gap. He gave his strength generously to them. He empowered people. I was thinking about Joshua. This, what Moses says to Joshua over and over again at the end of, uh, of Moses' life. He says, be strong and courageous. Uh, are those the words of a weak person? No, this is, like, this is his advice to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. It's the same thing we see showing up in Joshua chapter 1 as Moses is already gone. Be strong and courageous. That's the tune he wanted to pass down from generation to generation. It's not weak, but it's strength and being generous. Giving people your strength in the way they need it the most. Patience. You been waiting on that one? I think it's at the list, uh, at the end of the list for a reason, right? Like we know it's there and we're thinking at the the first time you heard it, you're like, oh yeah, that's not me. I'm not patient. I gotta work on that. I know. 
And, but here it is at the end of the list, and you had to be patient for us to get there, right? No, no, patience is, is uh, I know you've probably thought this, because you've gone through something hard, and you've said, maybe to yourself or someone else, like, oh man, God must be really trying to teach me patience. And uh, I just want to say, maybe, that, maybe that's true, but let me just caution you. That God is not passive-aggressive. God's not going to, like, vindictively act towards you so that you might learn a virtue. There's probably a better way. God's not passive-aggressive. Also, patience is not just a passive acceptance of a difficult reality. Like, I'm just going to have to endure this, and then when things get better, then I'll know that I've gotten better at patience. No, that's not it at all. Patience isn't passive at all. Patience is active. It's an active faith. It's where we trust in the ultimate goodness of God, regardless of our circumstances. So things might be bad, and you might be thinking, God's really trying to teach me patience. And sure, I guess he wants you to have patience, to trust in his ultimate goodness. But guess what? When things are good, he also wants you to be trusting in his ultimate goodness. So it's not related to your circumstances necessarily at all. Patience is this practice of active faith. Here's my definition. Patience is the discipline to see the story behind the story. Do you know we believe that God is sovereign, meaning he's over all things? So we studied Colossians chapter 1. Do you remember what it said about Jesus? That all things were made by him and for him and through him. All things hold together by him. He's above all. Just a few verses before we see in terms of relationships with people not like us, in verse 11 in chapter 3, it says that Christ is all and is in all. Don't you know that in every circumstance and relationship, whether it's good or bad, that God is at work for his glory and for your good? So patience is this active trust Believing and trusting in the goodness of God, whether your circumstances or relationships are good or bad, that he's always up to something bigger and that you can trust him. That's what patience is. There's always a bigger story. So we have to learn to ask the question, God, how how could this possibly be working out for your glory? God, how could this possibly be working out for my good? But when the answer isn't clear, We still trust his goodness. That's what patience is. It's a discipline. It's a discipline to see or look for the story above the story or behind the story. Now, that's five. Verses five through 11, we saw two other lists of five things. Five things to put to death, five things to put away. Now we see five things to put on. And we go, okay, we got these lists of five. We're good to go. Except if you look at verse 14, you see that he says one more thing. One more thing. Skip down to verse 14. He says, above all, meaning that this one thing that I'm about to say is worth more than all the other things put together. Like if you did all those five things perfectly, this one thing is worth more. He says, above all, put on and keep putting on, by the way, same kind of verb there, put on and keep putting on love. Love. And we're not talking about a Hallmark Christmas movie kind of love. We're not talking about love that you can fall into. We're not talking about love you can fall out of. We're talking about love that you forge. We're talking about love that says, 
I choose you before you earn it. A love that says, I forgive you when you don't deserve it. And a love that says, I'll serve you even if you don't return it. This kind of love is unconditionally and selflessly putting others first. And we saw it in Jesus. It's the kind of love that God showed us in Christ. When God sent Jesus, he didn't send him because he was calculating. He sent him because he loved. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not have eternal death, but would have eternal life. That's the kind of love that Paul refers to here. It's unconditional. It's, it's selfless. It's putting others first. It's the Jesus kind of love. And if we could put that on, man, things would be different. Relationships would be different. Circumstances would be different. The way we saw our life and everything about it would change because we take on the way of Jesus Here's what he goes on to say in verse 14. He says that it's the perfect bond of unity, this love. The perfect bond of unity. Now, if this list right here in Colossians 3, 12 through 14 is, uh, excuse me, the one in verses 5 through 11 are, are, is the list that drive wedges between people in relationships, you know, anger, wrath, malice, slander, those things. Those drive wedges between people in relationships. This is the list in verses 12 through 14 that glues people together in relationship. It's the glue of the church. And so we skipped verse 13, but I want to go back there because verse 13 is ground zero for how these things play out in our lives. And ground zero for the command for Christians is a community of Christians a community of Christians. Look at verses, verse 13. Three times in one verse, he uses a variation of this phrase, one another. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. And if any one has a grievance against another, do you see the context of relationship here? And to this letter, for this letter written to Christians, this is about the church. If we want to see our world change, it's going to start right here so that we can give a better picture to the world of who Jesus really is. These spiritual clothes that Paul's saying to put on, these aren't just any clothes. These are our church clothes. Did you grow up with church clothes? I did. I remember going outside and hearing my mom come out and don't you go outside in those clothes. Don't you get those clothes dirty. Those are your church clothes. Because that's how we viewed church clothes for a long, long time, right? We want to show up to church like we got it all together. We want to show up to church like we are looking good, we're sharp, you know, we're clean, we're put together, everything's good. Well, play that out into our relationships. Hey, how you doing? Great, fantastic. Do you have a good week? Good week. Yeah, it's a good week. Everything's right. Everything's okay. But Paul is saying 
that we need to put on a different kind of clothes. We don't need to put on church clothes that make us look good. We need to put on church clothes that create space for everyone else to be true about who they really are or where they really are. We need it to be okay for things not to be okay. Step in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. This is what the call is, is to create space where people can come as they are so that we can give the world a picture of who Jesus really is. Because if all we do is come in and act like everything's okay, then there will be no need for forgiveness. There will be no conflict, at least that we talk about. And then we won't deepen these relationships. And over time, you'll come in and you'll act like everything's okay. And then after a while, you'll just sort of think to yourself, like, am I really doing this again? Am I going to church again? Like, I don't really know anybody. I don't really talk to anybody. I just sort of show up and then I leave. And so for an hour on Sunday, I act like everything's okay in my life when it's not really okay in my life. Am I really going to keep doing this? And you just sort of like take one step back. Maybe it's just a mental step at first. But then after a couple weeks, maybe you missed sometime and nobody really noticed. And so then you take one more step back. And it's because we've just decided that we want to come to church and act like everything's okay. But what Paul's saying is we've got to put on these clothes. These are our new church clothes because of our identity in Christ to go, it's okay not to be okay. And when you're not okay, you're going to be met with this. You're going to be met with gentleness and kindness and compassion and humility and patience. And when you're met with that, we grow deeper with one another when we give an accurate picture of who Jesus really is to our communities. We share the gospel in that way. He says in verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Now, this word bearing, it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a verb, but it sounds kind of passive, like just bear with one another, right? You know, just hang in there. <laughs> but it actually has a little bit more meaning to it. Instead of just, you know, kind of grin and bear it sort of thing, the real meaning here, the real word is actually the word forbear which I like that word a little bit better because it, it kind of implies some action, right? We're moving toward people. And the meaning of this word forbear is that we will choose to lean into relationships even when it stinks. We'll choose to lean into relationships even when it stinks. Now, I told you about my daughter. We've had two kids. If you ever have kids or you've known people who had kids, you know that at some point that kid's going to have a dirty diaper, right? And it's going to stink. And say people are home visiting, you know, oh, the baby's so sweet, everything's so cute, oh my goodness, I love your baby. And then it's like, oh, um, okay. And then you see them, and they start to step back. And they go, okay, well, hey, something's happening there, you need to, someone needs to take care of that. Well, what happens? The parent moves toward the stink. The parent knows, I got to do something about this. That this relationship isn't going to work unless I step in and meet this need at this point. I'm going to lean into this. I'm just going to get it done. You don't have an option, right? That's what forbear means, is that when things are a little stinky in relationships, especially among one another, we move in. We don't back away. We don't stop there because we can't just grin and bear it. We can't just sweep things under the rug. We can't just ignore any of our problems. We have to take it to the next level because what Jesus did for us and forgive So forbear and forgive. 
It's not enough for Christians just to put up with each other. We have to do what Jesus did for us in forgiveness. I love what uh, Pastor Andrew over on our Longview campus wrote. He wrote a little com- a commentary on Colossians, and in his commentary on this particular verse, he said the reconciliation the gospel brings, it's not merely vertical, as in between you and God. It's also horizontal, meaning between you and others. So when you come to Christ for forgiveness, you enter into a new life, a new identity that asks of you to forgive others. This is what verse 13 says at the second half of the next sentence. And it says, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. So let me put this another way as I wrap up. The only way that you'll see traction in your growth as a Christian, the only way that you'll start to notice you're growing as a Christian is when you're in close enough relationship to other Christians that they annoy you or sin against you so that you can live as Jesus lives toward them, putting on compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, and patience. I kind of hope that's disorienting to you because we tend to just want everything to be okay. But I'll just tell you, when you want to grow spiritually, which is what we're talking about, colossal growth in Christ, that's the goal for all of us is to grow in Christ and grow together in Christ. That means we're going to have to be close enough to one another that we're going to upset each other, that it could be awkward, that there might even be someone annoying. (laughs) We're not always going to like each other. Yeah, we're going to be hypocrites sometimes. Yeah, we're going to hurt each other. Things aren't always going to go your way. I mean, all kinds of things. But when it stinks, we lean in. And we forgive. And we show the world the true Jesus. Not the one that we want people to see. But who he really is. God who came to us. He got into our mess. He walked with us in our struggle. He saw the real you behind the circumstance you're in, behind the struggle you have. He showed his kindness towards you by being merciful towards you. God stepped between you and Jesus stepped between you and God's wrath. He used his strength in a way that you needed it the most. And he took on the punishment of God for the sins of mankind so that you can have life eternal. This is who Jesus is. And it's who he calls us to be. Not just to be, but to be together. We're not perfect. We're gonna hurt each other. We're gonna mess up. But praise God that he rescued us from our sin and unites us together with his unconditional love. This is who Jesus is. Now I want to apply this just briefly with this picture of the tree. It's a cool tree. We've been looking at this tree for several weeks now as we talk about colossal growth in Colossians chapter 3. Now, at Moberly, 
Welcome to Moverly, by the way. If you're new here, you're going to get a little, uh, a little insider look here. But this is the way we think about how we grow in Christ. If you think about that picture of a tree, the foliage, what grows from that tree, all of that, that's kind of we think about uh, how we worship together. We come in these public worship gatherings. We get together. We see people saved. We baptize people together. There's lots of celebration. There's lots of fruit growing out of that. It's kind of the public picture of what's going on in our church. You know, it's usually the first thing people see is, is this, just the tree, right? And you go, it's just a tree. But can you just imagine what's below the screen? Like if that image continued down and you could see under the grass, you know what you would see, right? You would see a root system that's drawing up nutrients. And that root system is what we would call below the surface kind of discipleship activities, which are connecting together in connect groups and serving together on serve teams. So we think if if you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus, those three things are the things that we all ought to be doing. We ought to be worshiping together, celebrating the goodness of God, showing the world the fruit of life with God. But then under the surface, you know what's happening in our church if we really want to grow in Christ is we've got to be close enough in relationship with people like where they're going to annoy us or even hurt us sometimes, but we're going to meet that with forgiveness, right, and forbearance. And all of that happens kind of under the surface, and you may not see it everywhere, but it's people connecting in relationship and connect groups it's people serving together on serve teams. In fact, I love the word the Bible uses for serve. It's the same word that's used for minister and deacon. It's the word diakonos. And if you just break that down into its parts, dia means through and konos means dirt. Through the dirt. It's like we've got to get our hands dirty, right? This is how we grow deeper together. We get our hands dirty together in ministry. So those three things. My question to you is to put on these virtues. What's your next step? This is all about our relationship together. This is all about who we are as the church, to show the world who Jesus really is. So what's your next step? Is it, I mean, you're here in worship. Is it to join a connect group? Is it to join a serve team? Is it to forgive somebody? Is it to step into a mess that you've been kind of keeping at arm's length? What's your next step with these people at this church? That's the question that's in front of you today. And if you haven't let anybody below the surface of your life, if you haven't gone below the surface with anybody else in their lives, that's your next step. Find a connect group. Join a serve team. And you'll see colossal growth in your walk with Jesus as you practice these virtues. I want to pray for us. I'm going to ask Nate to come up and just lead us in a little reprise of a song we sang a minute ago. But as I pray, I want you to just consider what is your next step. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Christmas, that you would send Jesus to us, knowing we needed salvation. You gave us what we needed. We didn't have to earn it. We didn't have to become acceptable to you. You just chose us and you made the sacrifice for sin for us on our behalf. You adopted us into your family when we responded in faith. I can't imagine better news 
and then to have eternal life through Jesus Christ. My prayer today, God, is every person in this room would know what it means to have faith in Jesus for salvation, the forgiveness of sin, and the life with you. God, for anybody who needs to take that step, would you just impress on their hearts today, have the courage to tell somebody. And God, as others are considering what their next step is in this fellowship of believers, just show them. God, put something in their mind that they can't get out. and Give them the courage to say something. Thank you for meeting us in our mess, for not kicking us out, for embracing us, and for walking with us. We want to do that for others. Would you empower us to do that, God? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.